I know there's, like I said, today's kind of a day, there's all kinds of stuff going on, but, but really it is good. I, I know I say that often, but that's just the truth of my perspective. God has just wired me that way, that I, I see the goodness of God in the land of the living, and I just choose to be that way. And I hope that that rubs off on you, that no matter what's going on in your world, today is the day that God has made, and it is good. It is good. There are reasons to rejoice. And so um, we are going to jump into this morning's message. Um, I will ask that scary thing that pastors asked, what did we talk about last week, or what have we been talking about for the last several weeks? What has been our theme for this year? Does anyone know what's the word for the year? Compassion, all right. And our Luke 6, 36, I'm going to get even to see if you guys remember Luke 6, 36. What does that say? You must be compassionate just as your Father in heaven is compassionate. All right. So that's kind of our theme verse for the year. It's, this, it's in red letters in your Bible that Jesus is saying there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is a command. You have to be compassionate. And I feel like the Lord is just really focusing that word for us this year. And uh, we are exploring what that means in lots of different ways. We talked about last week about truth and grace. It was a little bit off of compassion. But the idea is that, that we can hold things in tension, right? Last week we are talking about how we need to have truth in our life, but we also need to have that grace or compassion and that mercy triumphs over judgment, all these things. And so we're holding all these things in tension. I just feel like um, as I was talking about that last week, it's been in my heart all week long. God has just been fanning this flame of this subject for today. And uh, I think it's been, again, compassion is something you can connect to so many different things. Um, but the title of this morning's message, I couldn't come up, I couldn't decide between two, so I just made it both. Um, it's the unity of the spirit or community compassion. Uh, this idea that compassion is just part of unity, right? That word community, right? You see that word unity in community. You see that word that we come to be in unity, community. We come to be in unity. That is what we do. Why we gathered here today is we all love Jesus. And so we're coming together to be in unity of our love for Jesus. We worship the Lord for 20, 30 minutes in unity because we love Jesus, right? And we're here because we all are in unity that we believe the word of God is the standard. And we want the word of God to teach us, to reprove us, correct us, right? All these things. But it also is, is full of promises that encourage us, right? And give us hope. And so I'm going to pray this morning that as we jump into the God's word this morning, that we are hungry for it. Um, I won't pray as much for myself because I think I need it more than ever, so I won't pray for that because I've been praying for it all week, all day long. Um, but I'm going to do something a little different. As we, I normally open up service before I preach, we pray. I'm going to ask you something. Maybe it's very easy and common for you. I am so used to closing my eyes. I grew up in this church, and all my Sunday school teachers said, Ryan, close your eyes. We're praying. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. So I just got in the habit. Every time I pray, I close my eyes. And sometimes as a dad or as a pastor, I'm learning, oh, I better open my eyes sometimes while I'm praying. Like my kids are talking and goofing around. I better have my eyes open while I'm praying. Um, and so it's not a sin or it's not wrong to have your eyes open when you pray. Um, I still, by default, I just enjoy closing my eyes. Um, but I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes open, if you're willing, and, uh, and that you're going to repeat after me. And I want you, in a second, you don't have to say everything I say. I'm asking you to repeat after me. If you don't want to pray that prayer, you don't have to say it out loud. Um, but you can, you can do that quick, right? As I say a word, you can think about, I don't want to pray that prayer, so you just don't say that part. Or if you do, then repeat after me. Does that make sense? So we're going to pray together. As we're in unity, we're going to pray with one voice. I'll say something you guys repeat after me. So with our eyes open, and you can even look at people. That's kind of weird. That's weird for me. Uh, we're going to pray. All right. So here we go. <sighs> I need a deep breath of fresh air because it's not used, I'm not used to this. All right. Here we go. So repeat after me. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We hunger for your word. We, for your 
Teach us something new. Encourage us. Equip us. Exhort and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. See, that's probably faster. You guys like that. The pastor prays faster that way. Um, got through that early a little faster. Uh, so that's where we're going this morning. We're talking about community. We're talking about unity. We're talking about the unity of the spirit. And um, I was thinking about this. Unity is something that I think everybody wants. The world wants unity. Our, our president is praying that we get unified as a nation, right? There's all these things that we want unity. That's something that's good. We want global peace, right? We want world peace, world unity. But the reality is, according to scripture, if you are in the community of Christ, you cannot create unity. What? What did pastor just say? <laughs> Let me read to you a portion of scripture that maybe explains a little bit what I'm talking about. You and I, we cannot create unity in the community of Christ. Let's look at a verse in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read this verse that talks about what I'm saying here. Ephesians chapter 4. You know what? Let me turn there because I, I am just going to read... I was just going to read, sorry, I'm killing my media crew over here. I was just going to read verse 3, but I'm thinking I might want to right now read before and after, give you some context. So I don't mind, I have it up on the screen in front of you. So if you have a physical Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, or your app on your phone, you can pull that up. I'm reading New King James. I know I have at least verse 3 on our screen. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says this. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. We'll stop there. So that was a mouthful. A lot of things were being said, but I don't know if you caught it in verse three. There's something in there that I'm, I'm kind of highlighting. It says that we don't create unity. Our job is to preserve or keep or maintain the unity of the Spirit. So the reality is, when you became a Christian, you were unified with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You were brought into oneness with the body of Christ, which is the church. So you, by default, are in unity the day you become a Christian. We don't create unity. The Holy Spirit actually brings that. It's our job to maintain it. It's our job to preserve it. So I know I'm getting some strange looks, which is good, because I want us to talk about this. The Godhead, they're in complete unity, right? I love that scripture says God is love, right? God, doesn't, God isn't just loving. He is love. So God doesn't just bring unity. He is unity, right? The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they all defer to each other. They all are loving each other. They're always singing each other's praises, right? They're in complete harmony. They are one. That's the Trinity, right? Three, but together, all together, one. So they're the perfect example of unity. And so when the Holy Spirit brings you into relationship with the Father, with the Son, you are made one. You are made one with the Father's Son. But then there's things that we are figuring out in our lives like, wait a second, but I still have this hang-up. I still have this habit. I still have these other things. And those things need to get worked out right? But the, the idea is, Scripture says that, behold, you are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. So the old things in sin that trip you up, that would cause you to be disunified with the Father, that actually was dealt with the day you repented of your sins, and you were made one with the Father. 
But then there's things that we keep going through our life, and it says, preserve the unity of the faith. So it doesn't mean that, oh, everything's just perfect, and now you have to do anything. No, actually, it says with all diligence. It says, do the best you can. Other translations is, um, let me find it. Make every effort, I think is what we read, right? Um, do your best, carefully, diligently keep the unity that the Holy Spirit already brought into your life. So there's this idea that we can't create unity, but we can maintain it. Let me say it this way. Disunity is abnormal in the body of Christ. I didn't say disunity isn't uncommon. I said disunity is abnormal. Unfortunately, disunity in the body of Christ is common. That's the unfortunate truth. But the truth is, it's normal to be unified. That is the default position, is to be unified with God and with the body of Christ. But then there's things that happen, right, that we have to preserve. There's offenses, there's hurts, there's pains, there's things that happen in our life that disunify us, right? Jesus' prayer, one of his last prayers for the church, right, on his last day with his disciples, right, the, the last supper, he's praying that they would be one, the body, the Christ, that Christ's body, the church would be one with the Father just as I am. That's his prayer. So you know if that is God's desire, that's his creation, that's what he wants, that there is an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So I want to bring that, that idea of community, right? Compassion community. If the Lord said, not just Pastor Ryan, but if God said that for Oz Neighbor Church, this year is a year of compassion, you have to believe that the enemy is going to come against that word. There's going to be things where it's not easy for us to be compassionate. The Lord wants us to be full of compassion, which means the enemy is going to bring people into our life, situations in our life where it's like, man, that is really hard to be compassionate towards that person, towards this situation. That person is really driving me nuts. It's probably going to increase, right? We all know that. If you pray for patience, it's like, oh, don't pray for patience because that means people are going to come into your life that try your patience, right? Because you have to grow in it. The, the, the reality is to grow in something, sometimes there's pain. Sometimes there's suffering. Sometimes there's difficulty, and I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about this whole past year as we're about to celebrate. I don't know if celebrate is the right word, but we're about to, to recognize it's been a whole year since we've been in our sanctuary. I'm not saying that God was not involved with this whole last year, that he wasn't doing our divine reset. Of course, God was involved in different things. But I can't help but think that the enemy was involved with this whole coronavirus. That the enemy was trying to bring division. The enemy was trying to separate. The enemy was trying to take the body of Christ and say, let's get them not to be able to gather together. But I'm thinking, even as our prayer this morning, it wasn't in my sermon. I just was praying through the sanctuary this morning. And I was thinking about, man, my kids, they've broken bones. And I've seen the, I've seen the x-ray. When the bone got broken and it was separated, oh, that was a lot of pain. That was difficulty. That wasn't healthy. That's not good. That's not normal. But it's amazing how God has designed things. That even in our physical body, when a bone is broken and separated, it grows back. And I don't understand when it grows back, it's stronger. That place of brokenness where it grows back is actually stronger than where it was before. So God is saying that even where we were separated, even what the enemy meant for evil to separate the body of Christ and going through a whole year of struggle and still wearing masks that we don't want to wear, right? And all these different things that we're learning to have compassion. We're learning to, to let down our desires. God is saying, you have no idea 
what he's doing. As that bone begins to grow back together, I'm believing that the body of Christ is going to be stronger than ever before. The unity, the, the community that we come together unified, whether we're online, whether we're in a tent, whether we're in a building, whether I'm just letting you know in two weeks, we're going to keep the online thing going. We're going to allow people to still meet outdoors and have some video monitors if you're not comfortable being indoors. But I'm saying, you know what? It doesn't matter where we physically are. God is unifying the body of Christ. And I can look at the natural and I can say, actually, no, we're a divide. I've heard Pastor Greg say it and it breaks my heart. And there's a lot of truth be- behind it, right? That Sunday, out of any day of the week, Sunday is probably the day we are most divided. How many different denominations? And, and there's an all-white church, an all-black church, an all-Hispanic church, an all-Asian church, right? All whatever it is. It's like, man, why is the church so divided? And I am believing, I'm saying this even prophetically, meaning I'm saying things as though they will be, even though they're not currently. That the body of Christ is going to be more unified than ever. But again, it's up to us to preserve it. It's up to us to find out, okay, where is their brokenness? Where's the brokenness happened? And I don't mean just because we're not physically in a sanctuary. I'm saying, where am I not unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ? The reality is, I cannot be unified with those who are outside the body of Christ. It doesn't mean I can't have peace. Scripture says, if at all possible, live at peace with everyone, right? People you 100% disagree with, people that are going to hell, that you know they're going to hell, right? It says to live at peace with them. But the reality is I can't have complete unity with someone who's not in Christ. But anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creation. I am a new creation. I was created to be in complete unity with them. So where is it that is broken? Where is it that, I get it, we all have different preferences. I think about um, Pastor Mark Looney. Do you guys remember he was here several years ago and he wrote a book about the circles? Right, And we have these out, outside circles, just preferences, things we like and dislike. And we might all have the same thing. Like, I love the 49ers. I know not everybody here loves them, right? But we can still be in unity and not love the same football team, right? That's so peripheral. That doesn't matter. And then there's more convictions, right? Kind of doctrines and things that we circle around. But then really goes down to Christ. It's just Jesus. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And if anyone else believes that, man, I am supposed to be unified with them. It does not matter what their doctrines are about speaking in tongues, about this, about that. I could care less about those things. I just want to be unified. Amen. And not those things aren't important. Man, I believe in, in all the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm pursuing them. But if it causes me to be disjointed with another bro- brother in Christ, those are not things I'm focused on. I'm focused on how am I unified? Because I'm called to diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit. I know I've given a lot of words about how we are to be a city on a hill, right? I'm believing there's supposed to be a great revival before Jesus returns. And I believe this word compassion has a lot to do with that. But I can't help but think of, oh, where is it? You'll have to forgive me, or maybe don't forgive me, just give me grace. Because as I was preparing this message... I love things in order. Like, I love having three points and having subpoints and having things like really, like, even if they are alliterations, all with the same, like, first letter, so it's easy to remember. I love those types of things. But I also love listening to a pastor who's just sharing from his heart and it's kind of all over the place. So this morning's a little bit more all over the place. As I was preparing, I was trying to get things nice and neat and easy packaged for you guys. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, yeah, but you don't get it this time. I was like, oh. all right. So I have like notes all over the place, more pages of notes on this iPad than I normally do. And they're all over the place. Um, so if I sound a little all over the place, that's okay. Just 
there's grace, right? We can be in unity that we're just hungry for the word of God, however it comes. And sometimes, I'll just be real with you, sometimes we have meals at our house where it's just kind of last minute thrown together and it's not all perfectly neat like at a restaurant, but man, it was good. We came together and so I'm just saying this morning, maybe this meal is not like perfectly neat where my kids, they don't like their food touching, right? We, they, they, like, they still like their babies. They want those separated, divided, you know, plates, right? The, no food touches. Um, this morning, I think all the food is like mixed together, right? It's like stew this morning. Like we got stuff connected all over. So sorry, maybe a bad analogy, but um, that's kind of where I'm at. So I was looking for a verse. Let me find it real quick. So grace as I'm looking for it. All right, there it is. John 13, 35. As I was talking about, I still have a track. I still know where I'm going. That we're supposed to have this great revival. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. We're supposed to, to let people know who Christ is, right? But I love what Jesus says in John 13, 35. He says, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Not by the way you love them. By the way you are having community in the body of Christ. The way you are having compassion on one another. The way that you are diligently preserving the unity of the spirit in the, body of, the local body of Christ. As other people outside the local body of Christ see that, they're saying, wow, that's not how it looks like in my family. It doesn't look like that at work. Wow, I would love to be accepted no matter what I look like. Wow. And I'm saying there's room to grow in our church. This morning, we just prayed that the Lord would exhort us, kind of a big Christianese word, that it means correct us, show us, teach us, right? I, I love as, as we were worshiping, I kind of closed with that. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. So it's a loving thing that God is saying, hey, Osmeyberg Church, I gave you a word, compassion. It's not just that I'm going to wave a wand and you guys are all going to be compassionate. It's actually, I'm going to bring situations and people in your life that it's going to be hard to love. And you're going to have to diligently pursue and say, no, this is the call of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is what God is reproving and correcting in me. And I choose to be compassionate. I choose to be in unity. I choose not to judge. I choose not to, to stand against, right? But to be for. I, I think, again, of the model of the early church. Read Acts. Read the, the epistles. The early church, they were in one accord. And as a result, they had some pretty powerful fruit. But I love that it, it wasn't their desire. It says that when they were waiting for 40 days for the day of Pentecost, it doesn't say that they were striving and praying for unity. That's actually not their prayer. They became unified in waiting for Jesus. Jesus said, wait, just go and wait. All right, we got the word of the Lord and we're just going to come together over the word of the Lord. I'm just going to do whatever Jesus says. I just want to remind you, I'm just thinking about the 120 that were in the upper room. Think about it. Sunday school trivia. One of the 12 disciples was a tax collector, partnering with the Roman government. A Jew by blood and saying, I'm going to go work for the Roman government and work with them and get along with them. Then you had ones that were called zealots. If you know who a zealot is, that means that they believed in Jesus or whoever was going to be the Messiah, that they were going to come and Israel was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and Israel, the promised land, would be run by Jews again. You had both of them in Jesus' inner circle. 
You had fishermen, uneducated, right? You had doctors that were very well educated. You had the 120, you had women and men. You had even some of Jesus' own blood brothers, half-blood, right? Didn't have the same blood as Joseph, his dad, but Mary. That earlier in the Gospels, you see that they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. His own blood brothers are like, man, they even... Even if you read scripture, it almost sounds like they were trying to trick Jesus to go to Jerusalem so that they would say, look, you're not really the Messiah, Jesus. Let these Pharisees teach you that you're not the Messiah. But they're there in the 120. There's people that were all over the place that had different mindsets, different attitudes, and yet it says they were in one accord. I think about our church, even in here in America, there are some churches that since day one of the pandemic, they never wore a mask. I'm not saying that flipping like they're wrong. I'm just saying that's, that was their conviction. The government, they're not going to tell me what my, how I practice my religion. And to me, there's a lot of biblical and constitutional truth to that. God is telling them, hey, we've got to fight for the injustice. This is not okay that there's a government telling me that I can't worship Jesus. And they are following the conviction that the Holy Spirit has given. Man, I... I don't know if he's just shout-outs. Pastor Jack Hibbs, I love him. Man, he is pursuing all these things politically and, and by law to make sure that churches can have their freedoms. Man, I support him. I've joined pastor's calls. Man, I love that guy. I've, I've talked to other pastors that they have not met on campus for this entire year. I don't think my job is not to be in disunity with them and say, man, no, that pastor's an idiot. Well, that pastor's not hearing from God. Actually, no, can there be two sides to the same coin? Can God be, I mean, you hear pastors saying this all the time. And the answer is yes. Should, should Matthew as a tax collector be partnering with the Roman government or should Judas and all these other ones that are zealots say, no, we should be defying the Roman government. And Jesus is saying, yeah, let me bring you both in. There's some work to do in the church that we can talk to a brother and sister in Christ who hasn't worn a mask for one day for the whole last year and say, man, I love you. Man, I don't think the same way as you, but man, you love Jesus and I love Jesus. So man, let's, let's have some fellowship. Maybe people that are really following the letter of the regulations and we've labeled them, and they're just fear mongers. They're just driven by fear. Can we get rid of all the judgment and accusation and just say, man, they love Christ. I love Christ. Ah, oh, we're together. I love what Jesus says. Man, this is all, I feel like, again, all of my notes, this isn't even in my notes. Um, <laughs> freebie. I'm just thinking about Jesus with those 12 disciples. I don't have the reference because it's not in my notes, but he gives authority to his disciples. He says, all right, I want you to go cast out demons. I want you to go on a mission, right? He sends them out on a mission. They go into their own hometowns. They start preaching the gospel, and they come back, and they're reporting all kinds of things, right? But one of the things that, that John, the disciple, comes back and says, Jesus, hold on, hold on. We found other people preaching in your name. We should go shut them up, right? Because they weren't commissioned like us. They're not part of the 12, right? So we should go tell them to stop, right? And what does Jesus reply? He's like, no. Whoever's not against us is for us. This mindset that sometimes I, I got to be careful here, but I understand there is scripture that says there are false teachers, right? There's false prophets. I understand all of that. But I, I see sometimes my brothers and sisters in Christ that are so hung up on that. 
And there's, that's truth. I get it. We need to do that. So I'm not saying that's not biblical. It is. But to me, the heart matters so much more. This word of the Lord that we are to keep and preserve the unity of the faith so that the world can see and know that we are different. That matters so much more than saying, oh, man, that guy's an idiot. That guy's wrong. They're not hearing from God as good as I hear from God. I say, can we learn how to preserve the unity? I'm saying this because I feel like this is an exhortation, but I also feel like today, this morning, is an encouragement. Can I tell you, as your pastor, I am so encouraged by the way you allow me to lead. I know, I just know, that there are some of you that have never even told me that you don't agree with my decision of not going back in sanctuary. There's some of you that don't like that we are going back to sanctuary. But you know what? I have felt unity in this church. I've made decisions that not everybody agrees with. I've changed things since I've been the pastor. And oh my goodness, some of you have been faithful to me. A lot of you have been faithful to me. And I feel it and I know it and I sense it. And I thank God for it often. That there is unity at Osmond Neighborhood Church. Have we arrived? Have we met where God wants us to go? No. But are we who we used to be either? No. I don't mean to bring up old things, but can I tell you, the way we look and feel and interact with each other is a whole lot different than we did 15, 20 years ago. There were some things that, man, it, it was ugly in this church. I don't like to bring up all that stuff, but I just want to, I bring it up to encourage you this morning. In fact, I, I'll even say it, this was in my notes, but Pastor Larry is here. Pastor Larry led our church through some of the most ugly, disunifying junk this church has ever gone through. Praise God for a manly God. I know you don't feel like you did everything perfect and right. But it's your love, right? No one denies that Pastor Larry loves Jesus and loves people. That is the epitome of the definition of Pastor Larry. Just a lover of people. And it's amazing how you were the right man for the right season when, this, when the enemy was trying to divide and say this church is done with, that he brought a man of love, of compassion to lead our church through an ugly season. I was thinking about this. All right, so this is like we're getting messy, right? There's like I'm slopping some corn into our mashed potatoes right now. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this. I am not a scientist, and I was never really good at school, like in science, so I might be saying this wrong. Someone can correct me. But has anyone, I'm sure there's people who know better than I do, ever heard the difference between fission and fusion? Fission and fusion. All right. So this is an uneducated person telling you scientific things. Um, fission and fusion. Um, you guys have heard of, like, nuclear weapons or nuclear reactors. All right, so let's see if I'm saying this right. Fission, yes. Fission is the splitting of an atom. Fission is the split. Oh, good, I got someone who knows science. Yes, fission is the splitting of an atom. And in splitting an atom, a whole bunch of energy is produced, right? That's why we have nuclear reactors that can create a lot of power, right? Um, so fission, we've discovered that in science, if you split an atom, it creates a lot of power. When a church, I'm not just saying Osborne, when any church that is supposed to be unified is split, there's a lot of power. There's a lot of fresh vision. Maybe that's good or bad. There's a lot of just things that happen. There's a lot of power that happens in a split. 
But there's also this scientific term called fusion. And we don't know as much about it as we do fission. We have created nuclear reactors that use fission, and we create energy out of it. We have not created. Scientists understand the concept of fusion. They say that the sun that's giving us heat right now and light, that's, it's creating energy by fusion. Instead of splitting an atom, it's taking two atoms and making them one bigger item. And somehow in fusion, bringing two atoms together and making them one, it creates seven times as much more power as fission or splitting or dividing of an atom. It's amazing. It's amazing just even those scientific things point to the kingdom of God. I am believing, and I'm just prophetically declaring this morning, that before Jesus returns, there is going to be a fusion or a uniting or a oneness of the body of Christ. That as we come together, it's going to create more power than has ever been experienced before. We read about it in Acts. We read about these people coming, 120 coming together. And look what happened when 120 came together in one accord. Think about the church right now, globally. What if the church were to come together as one? Oh, my goodness. The enemy doesn't stand a chance. Hmm. I was thinking about probably one of the most famous prayers, right? Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Oh, I have it somewhere in here too. Uh, well, that's a good one too, but that's not the one I was thinking of. Well, it's in here somewhere. Matthew 6, I think. Matthew 6, 9, I'll say. Um, where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, right? But I love, what does it start off with? What are the first two words? You guys remember? Our Father. I love that prayer. Our Father. It's not my Father. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father. Not my Father, not your Father, our Father. And when we can learn to pray that with somebody who currently we don't feel unified with, that we can come together and say, all right, ah, there's been this offense. There's been something that was not right. But I know it's my job to preserve the unity of the faith. So I'm going to learn how to pray our father. He's your father too. So he's our father. There's something about this community, the family. I use the word family. God is doing something. You know, I, I think it's kind of fun that it was actually a year ago when Pastor Gary Mason preached from Canada. He came and preached our first online service. Uh, so March, I think it was 15th of last year. March 15th of last year was our first time not to be in the sanctuary all together. And Pastor Mark preached. And I love that the name of his church is Family Church. Amen. Medicine Hat Family Church. And then it rubbed off on us. I don't think I even knew it cognitively, but even when we created our Osborne family group, we just called it Osborne family. And then I always say it all the time, like, well, good morning, Osborne family. I, do, I just, family got infused into my DNA or into our words, how we talk about each other. That happened a year ago, right at the beginning of COVID. And I think God is saying, the family, to me, I grew up in this church. Man, there's always been an element of family in the church. We're a smaller church where everyone knows your name, right? Where it's not easy to get hide in the, in the cracks and nobody knows who you are. We want to know everybody here. And so I love that. That's always been a part of this church. 
but I really, really, really believe in my heart that what we've tasted in the last 60 plus years that we've been at church pales in comparison to what God is about to do. Where we actually live life with each other. We know each other really well and we care about each other. Where, man, just being real this morning, right? We're celebrating going back into sanctuary. We're celebrating Pastor Larry being here, right? But at the same time, we're remembering it's been one year since Jan passed away. How does all that fit together? Family knows how to do all that. Family knows how to to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, that in the midst of a, a celebratory fun time, that when we see somebody hurting, we're like, you know what? I can put a pause in my celebratory, and I can go and be comfort and compassion to somebody. I'll put aside my personal things and go do that. Flip side, I see to Pastor Greg. It's a hard day today. And he put aside his own hurts and his own pain. He says, I'm going to go be with family. I'm going to go love on other people. I'm going to put a smile on my face and rejoice with those who rejoice. He's a good father. Hmm. All right. I'm going to see if there's another side I can throw in here real quick into our meal. Ah, I talked about that. All right, really quick. This is an idea, and we'll see if it pans out. Um, I was thinking about how we are to be the light of the world, right? The salt of the earth, that we are to be the fragrance of Christ. There's a scripture on 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Um, I think I have a slide for that. I don't know. Um, it says this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You and I, we are the fragrance of Christ. And I'm saying that this idea, this, this aroma, this smell of Jesus, that when we're here together, when we come together, community, when we come to be together in unity, that it should permeate who we are that we should smell different when we leave this church service. We should smell like Christ, right? When you go, I'll talk about my 14-year-old. When he goes to football practice and he comes home, he's got an aroma, right? He's been somewhere and now he smells different, right? You and I, when we come together in unity, we should smell like Christ. All right, maybe this... Shouldn't be said, but I'm just thinking of randomly. So you're getting all kinds of stuff thrown in there this morning. I'm thinking about even things where I've woken up in the morning. Okay, we all have bad breath when we wake up in the morning, right? But is there anyone else like me that there's other times we wake up in the morning and it's not just bad breath. It's like you can taste it. Like it is horrible. It's like, oh my gosh, what did I eat last night? Like I, I thought I brushed my teeth before I went to bed. Um, Maybe I shouldn't share this. I know one time years ago before I had kids, I was with a friend, I think on the bachelor party, and they had cigars. And I smoked a cigar. Woke up in the morning. I felt like there was a dead cat in my mouth. I was like, oh, disgusting, right? So there's this thing that my mouth, right, before I did anything, I, I brushed my teeth every day, twice a day, right? I cleaned my mouth. I had good breath. But somehow when I woke up in the morning, something happened, and my breath stinks, 
There's things that happened in our life in the body of Christ where we are meant to be in unity, but things happen. And we've got to discern, oh, something just happened and something stinks. And it's not just, oh, man, that person's got bad breath over there. We've got to discern, oh, man, there's something bad in here. When, I am, when I'm not unified with somebody, I've got to say it's my job, my responsibility to make it right. It's not until they get their act together and they ask for forgiveness, okay, then we can be unified. I think about, I don't get in trouble telling more stories about my wife and I. Um, I can think about times where I've come home early on, early in our marriage, right? You know, come home and there she is to to welcome me, give me a big kiss. And it's, you know, this romantic, perfect love scene, you know, great. Fast forward, four kids, both people, full-time jobs, help run the church. Okay, that romantic scene doesn't happen every time I walk through the door, right? It's like chaos is happening. Diapers need to be changed. Kids are yelling. You know, I'm like, ah, I walked into a war zone, right? Like, it's crazy. But that's just life. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong. But even in the midst of that war zone, I can notice I, have, I don't have the sense as a woman, right? I don't have that woman intuition. But because I'm one with my wife, I can notice whether it was that romantic scene and that didn't happen like it was supposed to or there's chaos going in my house. Because I'm one with my wife, if she's doing dishes and I walk by, I'm like, oh, we're not one. Something's going on. <laughs> Something happened. And I know right away. Not always what it is, right? I'm a man. I have, sometimes I'm, most of the time I'm clueless. Like, did I say something? Did I do something? Like, I'm starting to think through this morning when I left. Did I do something? Like, I have no idea. But I know it's my job to make sure that we come back together as one. And even as I begin to hear some of the things that she's going with, I can easily say, oh, that's just her issue. That has nothing to do with me. But the reality is it does because we're one. It now becomes my issue. And I'm responsible, as the husband, I'm responsible to make sure that we're one again. Sometimes, I'm telling you, earlier in our marriage, now it's not so much, but she didn't want to talk about it, right? For me, I could not go to bed. I'm like, oh, no, we are not going to bed until we're one. Like, I cannot go to sleep until I know there's something that's been, and sometimes it's not 100% resolved, but at least she shared with me, okay, here's the issue. We need to talk about it some more. Right now, I'm exhausted. Okay, but at least I now know what it is, and I can be praying on it. But there's something about that where I know I have this intuition as a married man, we're not one. And I'm just going to say with you, I don't mean this as a horrible guilt thing. I'm just saying I am guilty of being your pastor and not always recognizing when you and I have not been one. And I've been praying. I don't mean this like, I don't mean to like just cry and pray. Oh, I'm such an idiot. No, I'm just sharing with you. I have room to grow in this. And I'm, yes, I'm asking you for forgiveness, but I'm believing we are going to grow in this. There are people in our church body that have been hurting, and I probably should have picked up on it. You gave me some signs, and I missed it. And I'm saying, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good pastor. I want, I want to be a good brother in Christ. I want to lead by example. But we all, what I love about Scripture is it's not up to your pastor alone. Thank goodness. It's up to each one of us. We all have our own responsibility to be diligent to preserve the unity of the faith. Hmm. All right. I'll even say this. Let's just have the the worship team come on up as we kind of close service.
I think I said this last Sunday, um, like an activation. So I don't know. I think that's going to change as we kind of figure this out, as I figure this out. But I think as we close service, this is going to start to be developed. But I pray it a lot, right, that as we close this service, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I say that a lot. Hopefully you've caught on that I say that. But I, I pray, I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. So maybe as we're getting ready to close service, let's just, oh, with our eyes open, let's keep it going. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a second. Ask the Holy Spirit, where is there not unity in this church family that I could take some responsibility for? It could be with me, the pastor. It could be with the leadership. It could be with another individual here. It could have nothing to do with this. Maybe the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? It has nothing to do with Osniver Church. There's somebody in your blood family. But I think the Holy Spirit wants us to grow and mature, and he's not hitting us over the head because he's mad. He's saying, I want to encourage you. I want to equip you. So as I'm saying this, Say that in your own mind. Holy Spirit, where? Show me specifically. You, Holy Spirit, you guide us into all truth. I need your truth. I want to repent. I want to look like Jesus. I want to smell like Jesus. I want unity to flow. So if there's unforgiveness, God, I want forgiveness to flow. If I've been arrogant, God, I want humility to flow in my life. So equip me, teach me, show me. I want to brush my teeth this morning and get rid of that bad breath. Your word says that you have given me the ministry of reconciliation. It's already been given to me, so it's my responsibility to steward the ministry you've given me. And I say yes to it this morning. If it costs my pride... My time, God, here's my life. We sang it this morning. Lord, here's my life. Refine me. You're the fire. You're the refiner. Teach me. Shape me. Mold me. But God, I thank you that I don't have to leave here with a heavy heart. That you infuse courage and strength. That where I'm lacking, God, you build me up. That today is the day of salvation, which means today is a day of joy. The day that the prodigal son came with his head hanging low, filled with guilt and shame. That same day that he came to you, the father put a robe on him, a ring, sandals, threw a party. So God, I thank you that as I repent, as I put forth effort to change my ways, God, you bless me. You increase my strength. You increase my joy and my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. So, God, I speak that in the name of Jesus. I speak an increase of unity. I speak an increase of joy, of life, of love, of affection, of care. That we would lay down our lives for our brethren. And that as we do, God, life would be good. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this last worship song? 
we sing this again, I, I want to go back to that, that analogy of, you know, we, we smell like what we've been around, you know. And, and at Osborne Neighbor Church, this song kind of talks about the fact that, you know, we are a living sacrifice. We're offering our lives as a living sacrifice. And that aroma of praise is different here than it is at the street down the, you know, at the church down the street. That Osborne has its own aroma of praise. It's our, our lives being, being uh, refined, being re renewed. And, you know, so let's just worship together and let's offer this sacrifice of praise. Let's offer our worship to the Lord and let God do his work in you. Let him, let him burn away the things that need to be burned away. Let him just uh, establish uh, the, the, what Pastor Ryan just spoke. Let him establish that in our lives, this compassion, this unity. Take us there, Lord. Take us there, Lord. 